Uh, welcome everybody to the Rabbit Trails podcast, another sunny day in Europe. Um, actually, I think it might be sunny in all three locations of our recording today. Beautiful. In jolly old London town where we have Nicole Lewis. Hi, Nicole. Hello. We are occasionally sunny right now. It was sunny earlier. Now it's doing cloudy. Nicole Lewis, what is the best month of the year to, to live in London? Oh, man. Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think May is a good month. May and September. Okay. I mean, September is also my birthday, so maybe it's also I'm partially biased. What, what day is your birthday in September? <laughs> the 10th. Mine Barrett. is the 19th. Is it? Yeah. I did not yeah. know that we shared a month. Yeah. You know, it's the greatest month. It but is I the think, greatest month. I think those are, yeah, I think May and September. Not that the rest are terrible, but those are particularly lovely. Listen, in my opinion, May is one of the absolute best months in all of Sweden. So uh, I'm, I'm with you there. May is a great month if you live in Europe. Yeah. If you live in Texas, it's just more hot. Summer. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's midsummer. What do you mean? It's, <laughs> it's been it's been summer for a couple of months. <laughs> it's, it's, in Oregon, uh, I would say it's also the best month in Oregon where I'm from. Like the there's yeah. just this green, like everything is green, but it's this uh -huh. green that is very hard to describe. It's gore, it's the best green. Yeah. Color, like fields and I don't know. It's, yeah, it's the same, same thing in Sweden. It's that new green that's yeah. like untarnished by the dashing of hope, you know, <laughs> to be poetic yes. about it. But I feel like, I feel like when I have an idea, that's what, that's the color my ideas are. It's, yeah. it's unstained by reality. And yes. then by summer reality is set in and that green becomes a little bit duller. Anyway. But, uh, you know, in T.S. Eliot, he said April is the cruelest month. So there you go. April yeah. can be cruel in, in Sweden, that's for sure. It, it, it can be a brutal month. It's uh, going to be freedom month for me, so I'm looking forward to that right now. Oh, you guys get out. Okay, well, here's a good transition then. Nicole, tell us, okay, you're in London, mm -hmm. but you're not from London. What, tell us a little what? bit about, tell us about a little bit who you are. Uh, so offended. Wh where have you been? Uh, why are you in London? Okay, so I'm Nicole Lewis. Originally from the state of Oregon, from the west side. Um, oh yeah, how I'm trying to make all the transitions work. But anyway, started working for this crazy outfit we know as Crew or Agape in the UK and in Europe. Um, about a year and a half after I finished uni, um, I worked for—I actually, interesting fact—worked for the U.S. Forest Service. Um, for those of you who know me, you might find that a bit shocking. I actually worked for three land organizations uh, when I was going through college. I worked for the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife, which is, we could do a whole episode on that for two years. Um, I worked for the Oregon Department of Forestry and for the U.S. Forest Service. So being an Oregonian, wow. I, if I'd worked for the BLM, I would have hit them all. But um, anyway, worked for the Forest Service in their public affairs office, which is kind of like the PR wing of the Forest Service in a sense. And then, uh, yeah, joined this crazy outfit, spent some time in Seattle, Washington, and then moved to Florence, Italy for 10 years, uh, working with the student ministry there, working with students primarily, living it up in Firenze, Italia, which was wonderful. And all, I mean, it was hard, but it was also very wonderful. Food's good. Um, Nicole, when you were in, when you were in Italy, I, I I don't remember at what point 
when I met you, but we've known each other for a very long mm-hmm. time. And very long. you were, you were always like, you were a, you were always a fantastic example. I'm, I have a point here, but you, you always <laughs> were a fantastic example of, of someone who, who embraced culture. I mean, oh, when I thought fair. Nicole, I thought of an Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I got living proof of that because we got to stay or not. We got to, you did. My wife got to stay in your incredible apartment where you could look out was at the bathroom window and you could see the Duomo. Yeah. The Duomo was like the whole one side of my flat. Yeah. So that That's was amazing. the, that was the uh, trip in which my wife and I got engaged. So yes. Was at, uh, David Carroll's apartment across town. Um, we got engaged actually in Rome, but I had with me a very special bottle of champagne that my director in Tunisia gave me to celebrate with, at which I also put into your freezer and promptly forgot about, and it exploded in your freezer. So if you happen to later in life mm. get a shard of glass in your in your strawberry <laughs> or something, I'm so sorry, but I my, my champagne <laughs> exploded in your freezer. Wow. I think I noticed that, but I appreciate the confession. You know, 15 years later, Barrett, I'll be mindful to let you stay in my flat again. I, well, yeah, probably. Yeah. Anyway. Thanks, Barrett. Well, so, okay, so that you were in Italy. So I was in Italy. An incredible job in Italy. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, you know, it was, I feel like, yeah, it was, such uh i mean like i said it wasn't always easy i mean physically it was not a hard place to have to live but spiritually there was just there were some things that were really difficult but i kind of it's it's now i look back at that time and i think i feel like god taught me so much am i ever gonna have a season of my life where i experience that much of the lord again like yeah i think i don't know sometimes i just feel like the things that maybe i will live live on for the rest of my life feed on for the rest of my life came from those 10 years there Mm so spent time there and then moved uh back to the states for a while kind of trying to send people overseas and then came back myself so now i'm in london uh in the se1 bermondsey um south london which i love i love london oh man I, people always ask, oh, what do you prefer? You know, London, Italy. It's such a hard comparison because they're very different. Like when I think about Italy, when I watch Italian shows, like there's just this thing in my heart that I don't even experience for my own home state. Like just this affection and love for that place and that time in my life and for my friends. But like London in terms of city is the best city I've ever lived in. Like it's, well, right now it's very quiet going back to the lockdown question. Um, it's very, it's very subdued, but normally it's very, I don't know, vibrant and diverse. And there's just, there's just, yeah, there's so much to do. I, I, I love London. I think everyone should live here, but right now it's very, yeah, we've been in, in lockdown for, for quite a while. We were in lockdown. It'll be March 23rd. It'll be a year since we went into our full lockdown. And then we came kind of came out of most of it by July, but then we went into these tiered systems. So it was just restrictions. And then the restrictions kind of got progressively harder. So it felt like by October, we were kind of close to being in lockdown in some places. Some places basically were back in lockdown. Um, And then November, we went back into a countrywide lockdown. And then in December, they put us back in these tiers, which again, we're kind of like being in lockdown, except that in London, we could go to museums, 
we could still eat at restaurants and we could go shopping that lasted for about 10 days and then we got put back in the strictest lockdown and we've just been stay at home ever since so you could go to the grocery store um you can go to the pharmacy and a few like other essential shops i'm this is this is gonna sound maybe funny to you but it's interesting to me so in the first lockdown there's a there's this area near my house peckham and they've got all these like hair salons it's like a, a black neighborhood um and i'm like why are all the hair salons shut down like i don't know if they know anything about like black women hair like that's this is like an essential to me i'm just like i don't understand why we shut down now they're open this time i was like oh good i was i was just like i can't believe you would yeah I'm like so i can't just go down to boots and buy shampoo guys i need like yeah well spain spain need um so peluquerias barbershops what, what what's that what, what, i can't speak english very good anymore no barbershops uh, Barbershops, yeah, but also uh, stylists, hair salons, blonde hair salons. They made that <laughs> essential, so they can't they can't shut them down. They made it essential oh. for people. They made basically in Spain. They said we there's certain things we won't shut down again, like schools. They they would not. They made it. They guaranteed that schools would stay open uh, no matter what. So we've we've had a lot lighter lockdown, but they made a lot of things essential. Which, I mean, like for instance, I can still go when when things are the the non-essential stuff closes down. I can still go to like the deli, which has like the really expensive jamon and wine, and that's that's seen as essential. Which yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> it's, still, it's, it's still open. Uh, so yeah. there's it's, it's it's interesting how cultures see what's essential or what how they they deal with those yeah. those things. And to me, it seems that there's you know not to be critical, but more northern European countries have been very like uh, well, they're they're there's a with lot the, more rules with the exception of sweden my friend <laughs> that's true you guys just, have taken just, a very different strategy we have taken i mean we, we definitely have restrictions we we can only do eight people meeting now and you know four people at a restaurant and there's some things that they've kind of said okay we're going to be a little bit more careful we're getting towards the end we want to we want to make sure that no one dies unnecessarily um but honestly my kids have never missed a day of school for getting shut down they've missed uh, older kids have had their school move online for some mm -hmm. reasons but um yeah so i have had a completely different experience i've never had to wear a mask uh except for wow. when i was on an airplane uh we did travel to spain uh as one is wont to do during a pandemic yes. um <laughs> the I mean, if you can <laughs> do it that's right yeah so okay so nicole are you going to be able to get your uh your jab your uh your shot soon or i hope so i hope so um so the government target is that they'll have everybody i have way i have way too much information about government targets and dates that things are opening up like it's it's memorized in my head so by mid-april april 15th they that's the target date for having everybody 50 and above Okay. vaccinated but they think they actually might get there by april 2nd which okay, wow. for me would mean that i'm in the next then they'll go to like 45 to 50 and i'll be right. in there just admit my age on a podcast but anyway um yeah i'll be the next group which i'm i'm yeah super pumped i just yeah i want i want a vaccine mainly because i do not want coronavirus um 
you know, if I could, if I could order a certain kind of coronavirus, if I could say, Hey, you know, I'll get it, but here's like the things I would want, just kind of like a mild irritant, something like that. And then, you know, no long-term effects, that'd be great. But I just, I just think you can't, you can't decide which kind of, you know, what what you're going to get or how it's going to look. Yeah. Yeah. And then the long, yeah, the long-term effects for some people are just horrible. And yeah, even, even young people, some of the long-term effects are really, really rough. Well, I hope, I hope that you're able to get it soon. I hope that your country miraculously ends up uh, uh, hitting a target sooner than later and then can free up some doses for the rest of Europe. Cause we're, we're still waiting here in Sweden, not, not to be angry at the, at the UK government or anything, but (laughs) we'll pass, we'll pass them around soon. No, it's really, it's really interesting because I don't know if you guys followed this last spring. I mean, the UK government was not winning any points for their response to coronavirus. Everyone yeah, was just like, ah, you're the yeah. worst. I mean, my friends in Italy were like, I feel so bad for you, Nicole. You're just, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, but yeah, somehow on this end, they're like on it, yeah. you know, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. But I, I do think we'll share. We, 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 we need, we should. We if, have if enough it, that we can share. Yeah. Eventually it'll get, eventually everything will start where all countries are, or at least more and more countries are going to be able to get it. And as more and more yeah. vaccines come online. So it's just a matter of time. It's, it's fine. I'm not, I'm not bitter. I just need to be able to, uh, <laughs> I just need to be able to get this thing over with before. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nicole, I don't know if you know this. So, okay. So uh, Victoria and I are stepping out of our role in Sweden No. and we're moving to Spain. Seriously? <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to make this about me, but yeah, Garrick is oh Garrick, Garrick is going to be. We're moving to uh, Santiago de Compostela to no uh, to work way. with to work with Camino Ministry. What? So yeah, so come August, we will. Uh, we're in a transition <gasps> phase right now, and we'll be moving down to Southern Europe. And anyway, it would be nice if I can get my vaccine before I before. Yes. Oh man, congratulations. Yeah, I had no thanks. idea. Yeah, it was a small development that started happening and uh, we, we were able to work it out. So mm. we've, we just recently sent out our newsletter and stuff. So now we're kind of talking wow. about it more publicly. The Garrick and ZU magic has finally has finally worked. They're really good. They've been... Yeah. Camino magic. They've been slipping as chorizo for years. <laughs> <laughs> it's finally paid it's all, off. It's, all, you the, over it's all the to... pork products. <laughs> <laughs> and the wine. Oh goodness. Well, okay. So Nicole, you have, so as you pointed out, you have oodles of experience, uh, being overseas. Did I point that out? Uh, well, you didn't point it out. We, we're going to point it. We're going to point it out. I am going to Western highlight Europe. your, your, your experience uh, mm. of being in, being in Italy and being in the UK. And both of those, uh, while there are similarities in, in the, between mm. the two, of course, because of, postmodernism and post-secular right. and post-Christian and everything. Um, they're also very different. Mm. Um, and we could go in into those. And as you've said before, um, both of those taught you many things about your life and, and ministry. Right. You highlight when you were, when you were referencing Italy uh, just a few minutes ago, it really, I really resonated with what you said that that 10 years taught you so much. God taught mm-hmm. you so much about yourself, but also kind of it's, it was similar to, I feel like in, I was in central Asia, a shorter period of time, uh, just right. a few years, but that experience, I feel like got into my blood and the things that I learned there, I can't get out. There were such mm. formative years, but what were yeah. some of those things that you learned during that time in Italy that kind of stick with you today? And then what I would say with that is how do you carry those into your, your ministry and your life in the UK? 
Mm, that's a good question, Barrett. Besides your love of pasta and beside my love of pasta. The obvious one. Well, that's it. That's the answer to that question. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, gel gelato covers a multitude of things. I know. Actually, speaking of gelato, so my neighborhood gelateria in Florence, Badiani, um, which is they actually won a international award. So they have four locations in um in london no way. and two of them are right by my house well oh my right gosh. right by my house being a relative term there one is like a little cafe that serves their gelato which is probably like a 15 minute walk for me and another is like a actual kind of gelateria stand that is about 25 minutes so wow. i feel like that's there are so many things actually even about my house and neighborhood that god gave me that remind me of italy like the um tilio i'm trying to think of that linden trees that was one of the mm. things i was going to miss about italy was the smell of jasmine and linden trees mm. in the spring and i have i moved into this house and i have a courtyard full of trees they were dead by the time i got here in the fall they're all linden trees no way all linden trees anyway okay so what did i learn in italy besides my love for gelato and linden trees um i think Okay, so this is probably a, f a few years in, I mean, I think I started noticing this, but it kind of catalyzed when um, our friend Gary Run moved to Italy and we started trying to kind of look at the ministry and what we were noticing in terms of how students were coming to faith. Like we we're just doing, trying to do a lot of just analysis of what's true, how can we be doing ministry more effectively? And, um, I think this thing that had kind of been stirring in my heart for a while, it started kind of personally my first year where I had what I like to call my Jesus revolution, where I just really started looking at Jesus and, and what he did and just kind of how that, what, what impact does that have on my life? What impact that could that have on the, the lives of students? And I think just seeing this disparity where I was living in a city and in a culture where I'm just kind of surrounded by Jesus, right? He's in museums, painted, he's in mm -hmm. churches, you know, streets are named after him. I remember being in Venice, there's a bridge called Christ Bridge. I mean, he's literally all around. Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, almost like he's there, but not kind of this like, uh, I don't know, what do we call it? Like a ever present nothing. Like there's just, he's there, but he's not there. Yeah. And um, and so I think for, for me, that just started challenging some of the ways that I thought about Jesus. I think it started challenging what I desired then for people to know about Jesus. And it kind of formed what I thought was how I need to live my life or even how is it a team we need to approach ministry was, was recognizing that there's this ever-present Jesus who's everywhere and nowhere. And what we need to do is help him to come off the walls of building and be like in the streets, like that people can touch and taste and feel and experience in our lives. Like we need to, so we started talking about, instead of saying, what's your testimony? We would say, what's your um, life change story? How has Jesus actually changed your life? What is he doing to change your life? Not this Jesus that did something thousands of years ago that we have lovely paintings about that we celebrate once a year, twice a year, but the, the Jesus who is very much alive, very much present and living and in the process of, of shaping and transforming me through a spirit, like who is that and how are we gonna 
make him known to people um, around us. And, and so I think from that, as I was kind of still in the midst of this Jesus revolution, as you guys know, I started studying and spending a lot of time in John 21 and like looking at the sermon between Jesus and Peter and just kind of seeing how Jesus really challenges Peter and his love for him. But in a way that really, for me, I look at that passage and I think what Jesus is trying to say is, will you love me more than all other things, above all other things and before all other things? Because that, that is the place that if you will plant your stake there, like will keep you going in the, in the right direction for the rest of your life. And so that's, yeah, I feel like that's kind of the, the 10 years what I began to see and do. And um, when I moved to the UK, before I came here, I was actually at a staff conference and I was, I was trying to decide, should I move to the UK? <clears throat> do I really have what it takes? I don't know. Should I say yes to this? And um, I remember Leslie, I went to a staff conference and our country director, Leslie Cheeseman was speaking. And one of the things that she spoke about was her dream for Agape UK, that we would be people who would love Jesus with all of who we are, that that would be true of, of who we were. And I thought, okay, I may not know how to do this job that they're asking me to do, but I do know how to do that. And not only do I know how to do that, it's the one thing I actually really care about and love. And so that was very, I feel like that's the moment that God kind of said, yeah, this is what I have for you next. So um i mean i think in my reality here in the uk that's where i still try to push people towards maybe more now on the staff side of things and the students because i'm not with students as much but i think just really kind of i think sometimes in ministry you can you know you guys know you can run around all crazy and get caught up in the stats and you know the oh we've got to we've got these goals and we're got to make them and it's not that those things are bad but I think you can easily lose focus on on your first love. I mean, it's very, mm -hmm. it's a very simple thing. And so, I I'm kind of a first love first, everything else is second. That's just so. so it, and I could a, be wrong. In an activist organization, as I think, I think this is the very the activist organization part is a very mm -hmm. uh, very British or UK United Kingdom sort of thing. I think uh, it's a way that they express it, and I actually. I think that's probably one of the first places mm -hmm. I realized it, it sunk in. Oh, we are an activist organization. Uh, when I was talking to probably might've been John McNeil, might've been Leslie. I don't remember who, but um, how we can, we have a lot of energy that we spend in trying to change the world. Right. Mm -hmm. How, how have you found that focus? Uh, I love Leslie's, heart in that and and I know your heart. So how do you how have you found that focus to help people love Jesus and deepen that love with Jesus? Uh how have you found that received and then I would say processed among various staff and or students that you are involved with? Because so much of the time the activities that we do aren't necessarily about loving Jesus. They're about yeah. proclaiming the love of Jesus. But those those can be different things. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's hard um, because I think you, because we do have so many activities we want to do and things that we want to achieve. And again, it's not, those are not bad things in, in and of themselves. Like we need to have something we're focused on and going after or else people are going to kind of 
flounder and flop around and not really know what they're doing. But um, I think it can really quickly eclipse the Jesus side of things. Mm -hmm. I think I think something that <clears throat> our organization, I, I want to say globally, but I, I won't say that because I, I can't say that with confidence of every single country I've been in or every single country we're even in. But I think at least in the US, maybe in the, yeah, in the UK to some extent, Italy, I think one of the things we're not, <clears throat> we're not good at, like we talk a lot about wanting to see students come to faith, obviously. It's very core to who we are. Um, wanting to help students then grow in that relationship with Jesus and and kind of go out into the to the world to be that, you know, into the city, into their businesses, into full-time Christian work maybe, and um, and really have an impact there as people who multiply their life. I think what we're not good about is thinking about, okay, well, that's good that we want other people to be like lifelong disciples of Jesus, but what about us? Like, we also are still, we're, we may be in Great Commission work, but we're still part of the Great Commission, not just because we work for it, but because we're also disciples and followers of Jesus. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we can't just spend, yeah, go ahead, Garrett. And this might be, this might be particularly acute for us because we are, our bread and butter is taking people who become, became a Christian or come to the, some kind of great commission awareness, like what myself is my, you know, and taking them at a very young age and going, okay, now you do it, which there's a beauty in that because we don't, we don't believe you got to go and do 10 years of study. And we, right. we put people into the game really quick, but we're putting young people in the game who maybe don't yeah. have, who, who need that focus. You know, I, I probably need that focus a lot more and so as opposed to just, just go do it. But yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I, I guess I probably haven't really asked, is this well received? I'm just kind of doing, <laughs> I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Sorry, Leslie, not in a bad way. I mean, I'm not trying. Well, I, I don't think, like, I don't think Leslie would disagree with you. I mean, I know like, I'm not undermine actively undermining the organization or anything mm. like that, but it's just, I, you know, I'm like, I'm going to hold that as something that I really feel is important. And I want to push my staff to, or any students that I work with toward and, you know, and I think I feel, I guess, fairly confident about that also because I know I'm not the only person who's ever going to be in someone's life, whether they work for us or whether they're student involved in our ministry, like they're going to learn to walk with Jesus from a lot of people, some of them living, some of them dead, you know, like the people we read about or, you know, read their, read their stuff that are no longer with us. But I just think they're going to, you know, there's going to be a greenhouse of growth that's going to happen through their whole life. And my, my life is just a small part of that. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I, I kind of intend to use that space that I've been given to, to push people toward that and let other people do other things. But I bear, I do think it's, you know, I, I think it's a hard thing. I think, I think I feel this tension, even as a leader sometimes where I'm like, Oh, I should be like, you know, thinking more lofty goals. Um, maybe it's just, I'm not really wired that way sometimes, but I'm like, it's okay. <laughs> well, you know, it's cause I mean, I've gone through an evolution uh, over the last, um, well, I don't know, however many years. And, you know, I think ministry in a, a context like Western Europe will, will begin to uh, let's say beat, beat the measurements out of you. <laughs> um, yeah. 
And, but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. So one of the things that we, I, I just think is so important is how are we remaining faithful to Jesus mm-hmm. and how are we as, you know, uh, uh, Eugene Peterson says, uh, uh, discipleship is the, what is it? Uh, I'm br- brutalizing the quote. A long obedience in the same, same direction. Yeah. Which is so actually how, a quote from Frederick Nietzsche. That's right. Is it really? Nietzsche. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He took it from Nietzsche. I didn't yeah. know that. Way to go, Eugene Peterson. That's why I Woo! come to the Rabbit Trails podcast. I learn something <laughs> every time I come here. Got it from <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great quote. It's a great yeah, quote. it is a fantastic. And Bono, Bono used it a lot too. So yeah. Um, but I think I think that that's something. I was talking to someone recently about, you know, the idea of movement. And I look, I want to see as many people come to Christ, and those people learn how to take that to other people. Um, so I'm not at all poo-pooing that idea. Um, what I think though, is that we have to remain, we have to continually be attached to the person of Jesus Christ and Mm -hmm. walking with him. And that out of that learning the heart of the father, we, we express the heart of the father in evangelism and discipleship much better than if we're just learning a skill set. And so I think, I think I, I love that. And I've always known that to be true of you uh, for as long as we've mm. known each other, that you exude stick close to Jesus. Uh, and I think that's, that's contagious. Um, so I, I, I get it. It's interesting as you were talking about Italy and what you and Gary were thinking of and kind of how do people come to Christ and everything else. That was, that was a good number of years ago. Um, but it's interesting because some of the most, cutting edge, so to speak, kind of thinking about evangelism that's kind of accepted as, hey, this is how people in secular postmodern mm. societies are going to come to Christ. You guys were already on the front edge of that, figuring it out. Mm. I think one of the things that I'm taking away from Sweden, and I think maybe applies, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this to Italy as well, is just the idea that because you can't stick because you don't have easy success with proven methods, so to speak, mm. you're on the front lines of figuring out how do we do this? It doesn't mean that your numbers, quote unquote, are going to go up, but rather that you're learning how people uh, process and assimilate the gospel into their lives. Did yeah. you did you see that? Do you feel like that that's true, that you guys really were, I don't know, seeing that lived out? I think that we were. Um, I think for us, um, there were kind of two key moments, which were very different than how I, I think I'd been trained to think. So one of them was just when we started hearing students talk about how they came to faith, I think there, there were like four things that were always true. Like they'd heard multiple life change stories from either the Bible or from people. Um, at some point they'd been exposed to the Bible. Maybe someone had handed them that them a Bible randomly someplace, or they started reading it, maybe at a Bible study that we had. Um, there was usually like a hard question that they need to have answered. And I should remember the fourth one, but now, oh, and they experienced, like started to experience kind of Christ-centered community. Mm-hmm. And that was just a very different way of thinking. You know, I, I think in my mind, I'm like, well, what, what Bible studies are we going to do or what evangelists are we going to do surveys or, you know, that was kind of how I thought about doing ministry. I hadn't really thought about it in terms of how do we align everything we do around these four things that seem to be true about how people come to faith. But I, I feel like at the time when we were more, when we started intentionally focused on that, we actually started seeing more students even continue to, yeah, 
come to faith and we tried things that were uncomfortable and some of them worked well and some of them didn't, but we were just kind of like, we're going to stick with this. I think the other key point for us is when we really started looking at relational networks within the culture and just seeing how, you know, there's a lot of sense of community that people have. So sometimes you find that people are friends with the same people for their whole life, which happens all over the world. But I, I don't know, it, maybe this is true about Spain. It's kind of like people are in these same communities, like for a lifetime. And so yeah. I think it's very Mediterranean yeah. uh, cultural value. Yeah. So, you know, we finally started saying, okay, we need to figure out then how to work in the network rather than kind of create our own network that we're trying to pull them out toward. Um, and it, you know, it's just, it seems like this is a much more in the culture way to work. And I feel like those were game changers for us and laid the foundation kind of for what would come in the future. So, okay. But I, here, here's, oh, sorry. Hope it's still been I, useful. I, yeah. Go ahead, Garrett. No, so I have a question. Cause I think this is, this is maybe a crux of something we talk about because that stuff doesn't look good on a stat sheet or you, it's really no. hard to, uh, to, so, so for, for one thing there, the, I would say the stat sheet's the problem. Um, but, uh, uh, but you know, but how do we, so, you know, I think, how do we express, cause you're, mm. you're talking about a very, you know, I, I, what you're saying resonates with me being in a, spending quite a bit of time now in a Mediterranean country right. where those things have to happen, mm. you know, and, and I, I also, so a question I had before we get back into that question, a question that goes into that, did you see that it took people like months, maybe years before they became a Christian? Yeah. Is that a com- comment? It yeah. That's took, what we yeah. see in Spain. It took, it took time and it even yeah. took, it's funny. We did. So, you know, we thought, okay, well, if they, we we should get the Bible into people's hands. Let's just start handing out Bibles. I mean, if that's, which after we did that, the I met a number of people at random events who were like, I became a Christian because someone handed me a Bible on campus. I wow. was like, okay, this is just a, a thing. Um, but we did it once. It didn't go so well. We were like, oh, that was a terrible experience. Um, and, but we thought, okay, no, let's, let's try it again. So we partnered with the Gideons and like went and handed out new testaments and, um, there were, I think it was four, four or five women who we'd known for two years, who we'd been friends with, who we'd shared the gospel with. We were, we were just like, I, I don't, you know, I don't know if anything is moving at all. And just from doing the Bible distribution after two years of like being friends with them and talking to them about Jesus, one of them um said to one of my teammates you know i've always really wanted to read the bible especially the old testament i've just never had a chance so we started reading the bible with her she eventually came to faith about a year and a half later another one who again told my friend like oh, i'd really like to read the bible and she was like oh we should do a study you me and nicole she still hasn't come to faith yet but still is very much searching and then the other three were students that we had met again, who were like, oh, I'd really like to study the, the Bible. And like one of them came to Christ. It was just, yeah, it, it, um, it, but it, my point was it, it did take a while. I mean, that was after yeah. two years of relationship and then we yeah. did that and then it still took time. So yeah, yeah. it wasn't so, a, it wasn't an overnight thing. Garrick, did you have another question? Cause I have a follow up. Well, no, it was just, it was that because I feel, I feel, I mean, so I don't, I'm, this is maybe a rabbit trail, but I feel like he, Mediterranean countries, I think Europe to some degree, 
for instance, I don't know how, for instance, organizations keep mm-hmm. stats on working in a Muslim country or a country like North Korea, closed countries. Yeah. But I, I assume they don't go that no one's looking there like, well, you didn't go out and do 8,000 random exposures this year. Right. We have a problem with that. Okay. Because they understand the context that that's not an applicable. So, so I just, I still, I, this is something I just really struggle with. Like, how do we, right. how do we communicate what we're doing? Cause I, I believe that is exactly what you should be doing. And it's obviously bearing off, bearing fruit. And when we did that switch in Spain, we also, you know, okay, well, there's not some, there's not a lot to report, but we're seeing people trust Right. So yeah. I could go back to the old way where we, we didn't see anyone trust Christ, but there was a lot to report or you so that, I guess that's, you know, that's the tension I feel yeah. with. So yeah. I don't know. How, so that, I don't know. What, what do you think? Well, I just, okay. So I, this is another thing I think our organization sometimes doesn't do well is learn how to, it's like we contextualize everything for everyone outside of us, but then like we can't contextualize inside the house, which I'm always confounded by. And I think, and I think, yeah, I think um, statistics or how we define movements, I think it falls kind of within that. Okay, how are we thinking about how do we contextualize this in a way that actually works within the culture that I'm I'm working with? And I, I feel that tension, Gary. I, I think it's not um, like we, again, years ago. So we had a category on our stat sheet called gossiping the gospel. <laughs> And we just, we counted it. We're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. counts. Um, and kind of what we meant by that was, you know, we, let's say I met a student, told them I was part of this Christian student group. Maybe that was it. Or met them, told them, you know, here's kind of some of the things we we're doing, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't any, here's how you can have a relationship with Jesus. But we're like gossiping the gospel counts. Like we just need to be out there doing that. Now it doesn't fit nicely onto a stat sheet, but it actually we actually ended up sharing the gospel more when we actually had more categories on there that people kind of walk through. So I, yeah, I think, I think it's hard though, because I, yeah, I'm, this is probably way above my pay grade, but I think we're, we're still sometimes living in this season of, of missionary work where things are, were reported in a certain way and that, you know, it's really good and people love that. And there's kind of, I think sometimes still the expectation without recognizing that the culture has changed or maybe yeah. even the context has changed. And I think, yeah, but well, well, it's, it's above it's my pay grade. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. Although you could just, you know, you could just raise bump yourself, to, just bump yourself up, up. up my pay grade. <laughs> up my pay grade. <laughs> just so I can I say think, no, no yeah. longer above my pay grade. I, I'm, I make more than anyone. Uh, <laughs> so, but, okay. But you know, there's a, I think there's a guy we read a lot, Stefan Poss, he's, he's made the point that it, the, the idea that A plus B always equals C is a very mm-hmm. modernist way of looking at life and ministry. And it's, but it, historically it's, it's not a, it's not a true corollary, corollary, corollary of the church, right? The church has not always through its faithfulness, always seen constant, continual, random multiplication right. and growth. And that, so we want that but also could we be all right without it mm. you know i think is is the is the question like why why are we forcing ourselves for me this is my, my big question like the church doesn't always grow it doesn't always grow the way we want it and sometimes the church suffers right. and is just is just for, for centuries that's you know different areas of the church you know live that way and right. it dies out sometimes and is reborn you know so yeah. and sometimes no sometimes wants to, god no one wants, wants to be the 
Yeah, sometimes when God be the... was glorified by by a small dwindling church's faithfulness mm-hmm. to live out Jesus, and and the culture still rejects them, right? Yeah. So, uh, so I, I I think that's. I think that's something I never, it, I, I was never able to put words on mm-hmm. until, until probably past, but I, but might've, might've been before, but I think it, I think it's so important. Um, I think I, I also wonder, and this is what gets to some of the mission missionary activity that I think is so important. So we all three um, have spent the majority of our adult lives crossing culture. Yep. Um, in your experience, Nicole, in the, in the two cross-cultural locations that that you have been in you know it's interesting you always hear the misnomer we were talking about this the other day on our on our staff team you always hear oh the outsider or not sorry that uh, nationals can reach uh everyone better than than anyone else so you kind of want to you know get a get a uh you know an englishman in that spot as soon as possible or, or whatever else but in my experience i'm not sure you mentioned the two girls who studied the old testament with you I wonder if they would have studied the Old Testament right away with an Italian. Like at some point, sometimes I think people are open to things. At least I know here in Sweden, sometimes people are a lot more open to talking about Jesus because I'm seen as a non-threatening, or at one mm. point I was a non-threatening entity, or I was less threatening, or I was interesting. Uh, I said I said only because technically now I have a Swedish passport, so I I, I don't know how I'm perceived now. But right. uh, my my Swedish is not good enough for anyone to think that I'm a local. So yeah. Um, but do you no, think I, do you think the outsider still has a a place? I do. I mean, I think that, um, and it's probably yeah, it probably varies by country, but I think sometimes the outsider can be a bridge builder mm-hmm. between two insiders in a way that someone who is inside actually, yeah, can't necessarily do it Mm -hmm. just because I think, you know, there are those, there are those barriers that do, do exist um, for people, even within their, I think even within their own, own cultures. And so um, like in the, I think one of the things we talk about here is like, we'd love to see a ministry in Scotland one day but we can't send English people because there's, you know, we could probably send Americans up there, you know, maybe Welsh people, but just, you know, even though we're all part of the UK, there still is that, there still is that, that barrier. Um, It's a little bit different than what you're talking about, but yeah, I do think there's still, I, yeah, I think there still is a place. I don't think that someone who's coming from a different culture has, you know, no like role to play, but it just, there might be, but it might be a very specific thing. I still mm-hmm. think, you know, um, well, it's a little, it's a little, it's interesting in London because London is such a, it is a British city, but it's, it's a very international city. So, yeah. you know, there, I think I would feel different about myself as an American if I didn't live in London and maybe live someplace like Nottingham, which is not particularly, you know, multinational like London, but in London, um, there's actually a quote, probably gonna mess it up. It's from the Paddington Bear book. And uh, it says in London, everyone is different and that's why everyone can fit in. Mm, yeah, and we're yeah. just, you know, it's very, I don't see that as being a, an extreme barrier for other people, but yeah, I do think yeah. that sometimes 
when you're kind of like in your example, Barrett in Sweden, that sometimes you can be a bridge builder for people yeah. in a way that even someone from their own culture can't because there are things about that that have baggage and history attached to them that you don't necessarily have. Yeah. I mean, I still use, I still use English to start off conversations if I'm randomly talking to students because they'll have that conversation. And then at some point in the conversation, I'll switch to Swedish and they're always kind of like, why were you speaking English? And I was like, well, you wouldn't have even talked to me if I had been speaking Swedish. And they're like, yeah, that's a good point. You're right. So it's kind of like me presenting it that opens them up within their own comfort zone uh, in order to begin that conversation. Now, once I've had that, then we can go a little bit deeper. So I don't know, I think it's part of that. Part of that is, I just think that it's, it's kind of like in different parts of the world where different success has been had in our organization. I know that, I know that even though the ministry itself has been turned over to a nationally run ministry and everything, they still want young people to come on internships because those young people have a way of building those bridges and making inroads that may be, you know, a national can't. And so I still think there's value to that. So I think, I think there's something deeper about it still. I think the, the Christian message is a, is a universal message that is cross-cultural in, it, in mm. its very core and very being. And in who we are, we're called, I mean, and throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, and, you know, through Great Commission, and we see this com- continual crossing of cultures. And so I think there's something very Christian and very servant-hearted, very sacrificial about, say, I leave, like Jesus, I leave where I'm from to go somewhere else and become like those people to love them. And so I, I think there, there's, even though that sometimes there's resistance to that. And even now I, I think we see it even in our own Christian world, there's some resistance to that, but I think there's something core about that ability to cross a culture to say, I give up certain rights and certain things to love you that I think even in, in a, in a kind of jaded secular West, I think people, still have to ask that question. And so I think there's, I think if we lose that, that ability to cross cultures yeah. as Christians, I think it's, it's a very dangerous thing. So I, I, that would be my perception on it. Um, yeah. I, th- I think it's essential to who we are. We don't, yeah. doesn't mean everyone has to do it all the time, but it is yeah. part of our task. I think we need to, yeah. Even if you're not going to leave the, the, like confines of your own home state, like if you're from the U S at least seeking to understand if anything else, um, someone else's lived experience that is very different from yours, acknowledging that there are other experiences that are different from yours. Cause I, yeah, I do agree. I think this is one of the things I really appreciate about Jesus. He, you know, he was, he was having conversations with people that really made some people feel uncomfortable, yeah. but he was willing to cross, you know, he was, because that was, you know, this is obviously goes back to Abraham and God's plan for the world and for that Genesis. But I mean, there, there isn't this kind of like, okay, it's only, this is only good news for me. This is only good news for certain people. This is good news for everybody. Um, and yeah, if we're going to, if we're going to be about everyone, then we've got to not only be willing, like you said, um, Garrick, to like lay down maybe even who I am. I mean, I think this has been a struggle for people in lockdown who maybe come from a different country and they're like, well, in my country, we're doing this. Why are, you know, why aren't we having more freedom here? And it's just like, well, but that's part of the sacrifice that you make to come here yeah. is that you've laid down your right to be able to be there 
and have those things to adopt what everyone else around you is um, experiencing. Um, but I think, yeah, we need to have this, I think, acknowledgement that, you know, how do I understand someone else's lived experience that is different than, than mine, even if I'm not going to actually cross, quote unquote, you know, international borders to do it. Yeah. Nicole, what is, what is one of the most difficult things you have found in your time overseas about crossing culture for you just personally? This is a good question. <laughs> Should have been more prepared. Um, yeah. <laughs> we don't prepare now, here. Now the extemporaneous. Okay, let me try and, and I'm not good. I still haven't, all the years of ministry, I still don't have the blag gift where I can, you know, I hear a question and I answer in a way that makes me sound like I've just spent ages thinking about it. It's just not, it's not a spiritual gift I have yet. Um, what has been the hardest thing about crossing? Or a culture? hard thing. It doesn't hard have to thing. be the hardest, but it can be a hard thing. Oh, man. I want to say nothing. No, I really like crossing. Um, well, you've crossing been crossing cult cultures in a way your whole well, life. Yeah, I think that, I think that's, that's part of it. So I'll try and come to something hard, but I think, you know, I'm, I'm mixed. So my dad is, uh, is I'm going to say as though he is, was, um, Black, African-American, my mom is white, European, Swedish heritage, um, which I always like to brag about. Yeah, you meant some. So, you know, I grew up mixed and in a really small, all-white town in Southern Oregon with those very, like, from one to five, my dad's job was like this multicultural, it, he lived, he worked in a very diverse setting in the middle of the forest. I won't go into details about it, but it was kind of like I grew up in a mixed neighborhood in an all white logging town. So that was kind of like my, my reality that I lived in for the first five years of my life. So, um, but I think, yeah, I think because of that kind of having to navigate living in these two worlds, I necessarily felt like I always fit in nicely. And so, for me, moving across culture and being kind of different wasn't like a, it didn't even feel like mm -hmm. a, a new reality. I was like, oh, well, <laughs> you know, I'm like, here we go again. This is just kind of normal, um, normal part of life. So I think that that part has been easy. I think probably the, the hard thing is always just realizing how much you've got to learn the culture you've lived in, you're living in. I think that's the hard thing. Um, it's, it can be a really fun thing because you're getting to like, get in there and, you know, I moved to Italy. I never studied Italian language nor history. So I showed up completely. I had like listened to some cassette tapes I borrowed from the library, had about six phrases and could count to 10 and that was it. And so I just had to pick everything up from nothing. And I think it's just, it's, it's hard because it's also very humbling because you realize that you can learn a language, but when you learn a language, you also have to learn the culture that goes with it because a lot mm -hmm. of language actually is tied to, to cultural things, things that have happened in history. And if you don't understand that, it's hard also to, to speak fluently, even in the language. And it just, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of humility. Like you realize I sound like I'm about three years old and this is so embarrassing <laughs> and I can't, you know, I remember my first year in Italy, I was like, 
I think I'm really funny, but I can't even be funny in Italian. And I would try to be funny. And now looking back, I wish I had videos of it. Oh, I would try and tell these jokes literally when I'd had about two months of Italian language class. I don't know what I thought I was doing, but people <laughs> did not understand me at all. I, I didn't even understand what I was saying, but I would laugh. And <laughs> I mean, people were really kind. They really liked me. So they were patient, but I, it just, you feel like you, you have lost. I just was like, there's this whole part of who I am that I cannot express in another language. Yeah, it was very yeah. frustrating to me, but I want to be able to, to do it. But it's also really humbling because you realize I've got a lot to learn. And I think, you know, in the UK, I have the advantage that I speak English. So that's good. Um, clearly haven't developed a British accent. Only when I ask questions like, you, um, what's a good one? Uh, where's the loo? You know, and I kind of do this little like inflection at the end because I feel like people understand me more. Do you have a bag? Um, but that's it. So, you know, English is common, but still there's a lot of things about UK culture. There's English culture. You know, there's, you know, within the UK or even like, like where I live, like there's that Afro-Caribbean community, you know, Black British, African, Black British, Caribbean cultures within cultures. And so it's just, yeah, it's like you're having to do a lot of learning. And I, I, I really, I like it, but it is, it's hard. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to rock up here and just kind of go on my merry way. And I, I kind of think actually I haven't done the best job in England. I've been thinking about this a lot of, of really trying to understand all the nuances of British culture. I'm just, I think I've just sometimes have been like, oh, well, I'm just, I'm just moving forward. If, if, <laughs> if I'm making mistakes, let me know, but I just don't have time. But I think I probably need to take some more time. But I mean, it's just, yeah, I think that that part is hard. It's hard yeah. work. It's work, you know? Yeah, it is, isn't it? That's yeah. actually one thing as we transition into, into Spain that I keep going mm -hmm okay, I get to go be a real missionary again. Cause you know, I've been, I've been in Sweden for 13 years and I feel like I, I kind of know how things work and everything yeah. else. And now it's like, I get to go back to that space of feeling like I know yeah. nothing, <laughs> which for me, it's interesting is a, is a little bit of a comfortable spot. I'm not saying I'm going to knock it out of the park. I think I'm going to have lots of struggle. Um, but there's that sense of that has become a, that had become a familiar place for me. Um, and so to begin accessing that will be interesting. Right. So I really, I really resonate with a lot of what you said. What's one of the greatest joys about crossing all, all those cultures? Oh man. Uh, I mean, I just think you get to just experience some really fun, fun thing. I think you get to experience great people when you mm -hmm. do it and relationship that, yeah, will will be with you for the rest of your life. I think there are are parts of you that just will forever be changed by that culture and by the people. I think there are, are ways, maybe I felt this especially very poignantly in the last year in the political climate, particularly in the US looking over across the pond of just what it's like to have to go in another culture and have to look at yourself as a, as a person and a nationality from a completely different Mm -hmm. point of view and realize, oh, okay, wow. I, you know, I remember the first conversation I ever had with, about the death penalty with a student, which was not something I'd experienced in the U.S. and being really challenged by that and kind of being like, oh, 
I need to think about this. Like, but this is very, you know, we're coming right. at this from very different ways. And, you know, why do, why do I actually think the things that I do about that? Um, so, but I think it's really, I think it's good. I think it's really good to have to have your culture challenged and even your assumptions. And you guys, I probably have talked about this on your podcast, even your, your views of Christian faith and realizing yep. that around the world, there are Christians who love and follow Jesus who actually think very differently about things that you hold as kind of core to the Christian faith because they're part of your culture, but maybe they're not really actually culturally very, um, very Christian at all. So yeah. I think that, I mean, I think that's honestly some of the, the best parts. And I think, you know, like going back to what I was saying about learning about Jesus, like, I just think there are things about the Lord that I've gotten to see and experience in, in ways because I've had to push myself outside my home culture um, that I just don't, I just don't know if I would have experienced in the same way. Maybe I would, but I just don't think, I think that I probably wouldn't have had I not been willing to go outside. Once you step out, once you step outside and you start engaging with faith, you start to read and understand Jesus in a completely different way. Um, You can't help but do it. And that's just one of the benefits of being a missionary. And I, so Paul says in, in Romans, uh, chapter one, I long to be with you for basically the exchange of faith, uh, to be encouraged by your faith in, in, in my years. And there's that sense there of like, I always read it. And I, I used to think, how could Paul possibly be encouraged by imparting the gift of imparting faith to, to these people? How could he get faith from the people he's ministering to? But that's part of the cross-cultural endeavor is yeah. you're actually learning a lot about yourself, but also your cultural uh understanding of God and even baggage in some case of, oh, this, this part is really just a reflection of my culture and not about uh, who Jesus is. So yeah, some pretty, pretty cool stuff uh, and important, important to think about. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I just, it's, but it's fun. It's challenging again, but it is, it is a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. It really is. Eric, you were about to. I was, yeah. I mean, this is a really fascinating, uh, conversation and I've got, yeah, a lot to say, but then also say it, say it. But then also I was wanting to make some jokes about England. So, (laughs) (laughs) so I got, I got the two. If you you keep them to Paul Duncan, you can, you can make it. Yeah. Yeah. Paul. Um, (laughs) yeah. Well, I, I think, I think you're right. It's, it's, I would just agree with you guys. The, the ability to have to cross a culture and and re kind of relearn things really. Mm It's incredibly hum- humbling and humiliating at times. Mm-hmm. I think we can all. I, I need. We probably need the three of us start writing <laughs> stories like the stories of where we've just totally the, the fallen. <laughs> yeah, the humble or you know, uh, some of them are quite good, but um, I'm. You know, I think. So 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 you so you you brought up something that was very interesting earlier. Um, Nicole, about even just going across the street, you know, and being willing to, to take, um, and it seems like we're, you know, more and more we're in, we're in times where I, you know, I, I really struggle, for instance, with the, 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 the Spanish evangelical church is often a church that will not go across the street to talk to the other person. 
Um, I don't know how things were in Italy or how the UK is. Certain countries, you sense the church has more of a leader, takes more of a leadership sense on that, on being what we might say missional or, but just that willingness to give up um, and become Jesus in a certain way to somebody. Uh, But what, what, what do you think needs that as, as we work with students sometimes that are resistant to that? What, because we're talking back to, you know, the the discipleship, loving Jesus, How, how do we help people see that? Like even just knocking on the door of your neighbor who might be different than you or might be very much like you, mm-hmm. but, but, but let's just say they are very different. They're a different culture, different background, different, because we're in this fractured, we're, we're in this fractured society, right? Everyone, right. we're no longer homogenous really in Western mm-hmm. world anymore. We are, we're all over the place. How, how do we help people mm-hmm. begin to do those things? The simple thing, right? The yeah. Thing, crossing the street. Crossing the street. I okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna try to answer this, and this might be a bit of a ramble because I feel like I'm kind of processing. This is something I'm trying to process right now. I think in some ways, now this is, but this is not to say that people aren't doing this, but I feel like maybe there needs to be more focused intention on how we think about discipleship or maybe even like a reevaluation of the things that we think about when we think about discipleship and what then how does that live itself out and like loving my neighbor so a friend of mine recently said to me i don't think we're really we're not really good at like bringing together the great commandment and the great commission it's like we kind of separate we're for one or maybe we're for the other but like we're not we can't really seem to like bring them together um, or we don't bring them together. And I think that if, so Barrett's heard me wax eloquently about this before, but you know, the, the disciples of, of Jesus. So the disciples at that time, like they were meant to really become what their teacher was like everything that their teacher did, they, you know, were also going to do, they prayed like their teacher prayed. They, you know, there was, they just basically, they imitated their teacher. Yeah. It, you know, it was like, if you looked at the student, you could tell who his teacher was. And so I think that, you know, if, if, if that's true, which it is, but, and we look at that in terms of discipleship today, and we're meant to be doing the same things that, that Jesus did. I think what you clearly see is a love and a care for, for your neighbor that even puts you in a position of feeling very uncomfortable, mm-hmm. sometimes even making other people uncomfortable, let's be honest, but in uncomfortable positions but i don't know i think that i think that somehow it's gotten a little bit missed either because the the reflection is like here's a here's a lesson we're going to talk about in discipleship was which is about love rather than this isn't a lesson we this is supposed to be the embodiment of who we are as people who are now under like you know the lordship of jesus i'm you know my life is now hidden with god in christ i'm meant to be coming like christ this isn't just a lesson i learned in discipleship um this is uh, actually me being a disciple. So it's not a thing I do, it's just a thing that I am. And I think, how do we, yeah, how do we, I, th- I don't know, this is very articulate. I'm just, I, I think a lot about like all the things that come under mm-hmm. discipleship. Now I told you guys earlier, even, you know, kind of how do we bring in even like issues around racism into discipleship because for some people, it can be a lesson they learn. For other people, it's like the living reality. It's like my physical body. 
actually impacts that. So for me, this isn't like an extra lesson I get to learn. It's part of, you know, who I am as a person. And so I think loving my neighbor, maybe we've sometimes seen it more in the lessons I'm learning rather than an embodiment of who I am as a, as a disciple of Jesus. And so, I don't know. I think, I think we need to talk about Imago Day and what, what's the image of God mean? Why does it, you know, why is it important that people are valued? It's not, you know, that's not being political. That's not like being woke, trying to make a, you know, some kind of state. That's just like the reality of the scriptures. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think we need to bring that back into our understanding of, of people and then our understanding of neighbor and our understanding of ourself and, but I yeah, I'm, I'm trying to put it all together in my head right now. So hope, yeah, it feels, hopefully it feels that like, makes sense. no, I think it, I think it totally does. It feels that often I think in our models, at least the ones I'm more familiar with, and this is not everything I want to be careful. Cause like, there's obviously a lot of right. people out there doing different things. Right. It's not like very, no one's talking about loving your neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. Please don't hear me say that. Yeah. But, but what, what we tend to, to go to is, well, these are the things you know, right. You need to know about these which are important to know. I'm not saying we shouldn't know about the Trinity or we shouldn't know about, you know, being filled with the Holy Spirit or we shouldn't. Transubstantiation. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are all good things to know and be a, be a part of our thing. But I think we make it very, you know, and let's be honest, we've also very, um, in some sense, we've made the gospel very much about, well, don't, because don't, don't do these certain things, mm. you know, shouldn't drink too much or depending on where you are in the, the Baptist's Anglican spectrum, don't drink at all, or, you know, only drink at church events, so, you know. Um, so, you know, or-, or <laughs> Only there, Garrett, only there. Only, only, you know, only at missions. As, as we did often in yeah. church so, events in Italy. <laughs> so, where, you know, where we, where, as opposed to saying, well, what do I, what do I really do? How do I love my neighbor? Or what does Jesus really want from me? Uh, what does he want me to do? as opposed to like, what do I need to know? And then what, and then I think what we, what do we need to know? And then how do we transpose the information that I know now to someone else tends to be the kind of the job, which once again, is part of it. I think it's part of that, but we've left out the, the, um, that part where it's like, okay, well now what do I, what do I really do? And how do, and, and, you know, what does that mean for, for myself? So, so part of, part of it maybe is, I don't know. I'm I'm spitballing here, but I've I've often thought about how often when we try to communicate something to people, we forget the assumptions that underline our persuasion. Mm-hmm. So so like if if I want if I want you to believe something that I think is really important, I I I, I can find myself almost in awe that you you don't value it as much as I do. Right. But I forget the reasons, the process of which my, how my values got there. And so I think sometimes in the process of trying to get people to go across the street, knock on their next door neighbor's door, we forget the part of the father's heart that we're learning that caused us to cross the street in the first place Mm -hmm. ourselves. And then we, and then we have this experience and we think, isn't that great? Everyone should do this because it's commanded obviously. So then we go, Hey, let me give you the skills to get across the street, but everyone isn't necessarily going, yeah, I burned for that. I just don't know how some people are, but oftentimes, and I think that's a little bit, maybe Nicole, what you're getting into is that part of discipleship of who I am. 
maybe that's where, you know, in the Imagio day, but it's the heart of the father learning that feeling the impact of that in your life and then exercising that in your, in your body of, of who you are. And sometimes like it, it, it also takes doing it in order to learn it. So, you know, by the doing, we end up learning about the heart of the father. So it kind of goes together. I'm not saying we should go and figure out the father's heart before we ever go and do it. But I think we need to understand how important it is that along the way people are learning Mm -hmm. about God and who he is rather than just a skill set of how to's. Yeah. Um, And I think sometimes we just, I think everybody does that. Pastors do it. You know, it doesn't matter what form of ministry you're in, or even if you think that, I don't know, man, you is the best team. (laughs) Your assumptions built into that. You forget that not everyone shares those values. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think that, I mean, I, I would love to say, well, I've my whole, my whole career, I've never, I've always had, you know, taught, taught those things really well. I definitely have, have not. I mean, I, one of my, when I go back and look over my life, I'm like, man, I remember when I talked to people about like, how's your spiritual life? Is this, that was a separate part of their life that wasn't actually integrated in their whole life. And I think, oh, if I could only go back, I'd quit using that phrase. How's your life? What's going on in your life? You know, how's Jesus and all of that? Not just as a separate part of of who you are, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure. That's a, that's a, that's a, but even that's, I don't know, we, I know we need to be getting off here uh, as we end, but, but I, I think that's part of this whole process too, is even that expression, how's your spiritual life was a reaction and a cultural adaptation to a reality that was being faced in the, you know, certain areas of time in order to, in order to communicate something of relevance in that day. And then, you, you, you overswing the pendulum and now you've got to deal with that reality, you know? So it's just, it's, and that's why every generation has to raise up new leaders who are tackling the issues. Yeah. Um, So, and which I, to be honest, Nicole, I, I think you're one of the, one of the good leaders in our organization. And so I I am honored to be able to get to chat with you more and your, your wisdom and your insights. There are so many issues that we didn't get to cover. Um, I think maybe we should have you back on to talk about the race piece uh, (laughs) because you, you, you wanted to go there and I actually think that would be interesting. Uh, So sorry, we didn't get to that. Maybe we'll have you back on for an encore. I'll do some, well, I'll do some more work and then we can, you can have me back on. (laughs) That sounds good. Nicole, thank you. Thanks for for having me. Yeah. Yeah, Great job. Thanks. It was a lot of fun. Well, you know, it's nice to be on hanging out with good friends. It's not a hardship. That's (laughs) enjoy some tea and uh, foggy old London town. Thank you. Until we see you again. I think we're having shepherd's pie for lunch. We've been on a a bit of a like UK food kick here. I'm about to make pasta. I'll go eat some Swedish meatballs. And with that, (laughs) we're out of here. Good to see you guys. guys. Bye-bye.